0: Oh, boy. All right. Welcome. Hi, everyone. My name is Patrick. As Chris said, I am a pastoral resident and a board member at Pacific City Church, which the pastoral residency is part of a process by which I am discerning my calling in life. Is this like kind of a career that I want to go into? I feel like God has kind of nudged me toward that, and I'm learning a little bit about what that is and discovering all that it means. And discerning has to do with what we're talking about today. So we're, like Chris said, in our series called Disciple, What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in our lives, in this modern world that we live in? We started off a couple weeks ago with that idea that, like, disciples should be not just fans of something, but really followers. You know, you're not just interested because it's fun and cool, but actually something that you devote your life to. Last week, Chris talked about counting the cost, which is a phrase we get from the Bible, of counting the cost of really following Jesus. It's like, it's not just somebody you follow, that's a new identity that we take on as believers, right? It's a foundation for our lives, and it's an allegiance that ultimately should trump other allegiances in our lives. You know, like, Jesus goes big and uses this phrase, like, you got to hate your family, you got to hate your mother and father. Um, He didn't mean that, of course, as Chris explained, but that ultimately following Jesus should be what trumps everything else. And um, yeah, so What I'm going to talk about today is, what happens after you make that choice? Life is full of hard decisions. And so what about the situations and challenges that come up in life that you might never have predicted, you could never imagine, but you want to kind of walk those out. You want to make decisions and kind of see those things through as a faithful disciple of Jesus. So how you react, how do you make decisions, like What should the Bible have to say about it? Does the Bible say anything about this or that particular decision? So Chris last week, talking about counting the cost, in particular to his calling, they as a family, Chris and Nikki, moved across the country to plant a church. It's a big, like, they counted the cost. They figured that out. What he alluded to uh, earlier is that they didn't anticipate some decisions that had to come along, like, oh, there's a pandemic. What do we do? What does it mean to lead a church through this time when we can't physically be together? That was a hard decision. I don't know that we, as a board, even like figure that out correctly or the best way possible, but guess what? No church across America may have either. It's a, it was a hard time to kind of do that. So what are some other big decisions um, that are hard in life? Like here, I'll, just to mix things up, this can be an audience participation time. What are hard things to decide about? job. Yeah, spouse. Yeah. <laughs> that worked out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, job, right? So I work on House Hunters. I'm a TV producer. It's a reality show and when I'm trying to, you know, talking to people about being on the show, um, people get nervous. They're like, oh, reality show. Okay. They're thinking of maybe like a Real Housewives or a Below Deck or something. I have to tell them we're not that kind of show. It's not. There's nobody getting drunk in a hot tub or throwing a wine glass at anyone else. It's just a simple show about real estate and the American dream of owning a home. But then I'm like, okay, but am I contributing to like some terrible consumerism and Awful values of capitalism in this country and in this world? I don't know, but I have a job and it's good and I'm happy and I'm blessed. Uh, what else? What other tough decisions? Anything? Okay. Well, I, kids, yeah. I was talking earlier with Nikki. Like, parenting, the Bible talks about a lot in a broad and kind of beautiful sense, but it doesn't talk about school choices or my kid likes this sport, do I take them and sign them up for travel ball, which takes over their lives for however many months a year. You know, it's like all these particular decisions and you wanna do it well as a parent and as a disciple of Christ, but like, how do you figure that out? It's really hard and the Bible doesn't say anything about travel ball or (laughs) or (laughs) which elementary school in Santa Monica or West LA or wherever you live, you should choose. I've talked to a few people, uh, you know, recently married people, engaged people. like You think, okay, the wedding, easy decisions, like, color scheme, fun, but like, the guest list is an emotionally weighty choice, right? There's a lot to deal with that, like figure out who's gonna be there, who's gonna celebrate this. Um, just so much in life you think, sure, that I'll decide that, and maybe you're good at making decisions. I'm not, and so I wrestle with like, these big meta questions, like how am I supposed to know what to do in this situation? How do I decide? Does it matter what I want? Does it matter what God wants? How can I be sure? So I'm calling this talk Decisions, Decisions, which is one of those kind of cultural phrases that's like in my head, and I don't know where it came from, so I Googled it, and all that comes up is just like literally websites to help people make decisions. So clearly I'm not the only person in the world that struggles with that at times, especially big decisions. And I'm just going to start off by saying this is not a talk about um, does anyone remember the bracelets in the 90s? What would Jesus do? This isn't that. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a good question to ask. I think it's it minimizes things in life to ask just that question. Um, and also, this is not me giving you answers on anything in particular. I don't have answers for you about what you should do in your life, about your school, parenting, relationships, etc., or jobs. Definitely not that. Um, so. What I want to talk about, though, is kind of building a foundation of our new identity as disciples, and how that can help us walk out our decisions with integrity. How we can grow over the lifetime we live as disciples to find wisdom, to grow in wisdom, to make all kinds of decisions. And I think that there really is a learning curve, and we're going to look at that in a little bit. And uh, specifically, we're going to look at a story from the Gospel of John. And it's a story that involves some fun and questionable decision-making. Uh, But more importantly, it involves the assurance of the great gift we have from Jesus as our Savior, who invites us into this relationship as disciples. So would you pray with me before we continue? Lord, I thank you that you loved the world so much that you came and sacrificed yourself that we could be reconciled with you into relationship with God the Father. And we're still discovering what that means, Lord, so would you continue to show us Show us what that means as individuals, as a community here at Peck City. Um, just bless us with your presence today. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we're gonna jump in. I'm gonna set the scene. We're in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. This is probably, if you're at all familiar with the life of Jesus, a familiar scene. Um, so just starting with the first few verses, one through five. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him." So here we are, the setting, of course, is the Last Supper. Uh, We've already kind of discussed it when we took communion together. Uh, That moment happened just after this one, essentially. But Jesus was realizing, knowing what the Father had called him to do, to sacrifice himself, uh, that he basically had hours left to convey whatever else he wanted to convey to his closest followers, to his kind of core disciples. And what did he do with that? What did he decide to do with like the final moments that he had with them? What he chose to do, he did both in action and in word. He washed their feet. And then the next little bit of the story is where it gets, in my mind, a little bit funny. So continuing in verse six. "'He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, are you going to wash my feet?' Jesus replied, "'You do not realize now what I am doing, "'but later you will understand.' "'No,' said Peter. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew the one, he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. You might be picking up in this section that Jesus isn't just talking about washing feet, not just talking about the physical act that he's doing. There's more going on. Thankfully, just to wrap up the scripture chunk, he explains it. Continuing in verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So it's one of, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful scenes in the gospel. Here Jesus reveals a fundamental kind of dynamic about the way he relates to people, the way he relates to his followers. And then there's Peter. Let me admit that I relate to Peter a lot, sometimes called Simon Peter, Jesus gave him a new name, Um, but maybe perhaps more than anyone else in the Bible. He's this really kind of hot and cold guy. He's famous for his incredibly strong faith. Like much earlier in the Gospel of John, he's the first one to say, like, we believe in you, Jesus, that you are the Holy One of God. Uh, But he also is famous for denying Jesus, denying that Jesus was who he said he was when he was pressured by all these people at the time of the crucifixion or the prosecution of Jesus just before the, cruc- before the crucifixion. So he goes really big at times, like over large reactions to things, and he totally fails at other moments and kind of does that all at once in this scene just after this last supper when Jesus is arrested. Peter's the one who like gets a sword and chops off the ear of a Roman soldier, and Jesus is like, no, stop, that's not what you're supposed to do, and Jesus like heals the ear miraculously in that moment. Like Peter's just like all over the place sometimes and makes rash decisions. I relate to that. I've shared with some of you, if you've been around a while, that I struggle in life with a default position of people-pleasing. I often rush to do or say what I think someone wants me to do or say without actually taking the time to consider is like, is this actually good? Is it the best thing? Is it the mature, the wise thing? Is it even something within my ability to do? or is it appropriate? You know, so I'll often do what I think some, say I'll do what I think somebody wants, and then later I are like, I don't wanna do that, that's not a good idea, and then I end up disappointing them. And so I create the problem that I was initially trying to avoid by saying something very quickly and giving a happy answer so I didn't disappoint them. So Peter in this scene, like I said, a little bit questionable decision making, at least as I read this. He doesn't object what's going on at first. Jesus starts washing the feet of the other disciples. I don't know how far around the table Peter was sitting, but he doesn't object at first until he gets to him. So then he raises this thing like, Jesus, you can't wash wash my feet. Now, you could say that's out of a kind of a right perspective that Jesus is Lord and teacher and savior, but why did he wait? You know, did he not have a problem with Jesus washing the other disciples' feet? Is he trying to one up the other disciples? Is he being performative and show offy in his faith? Maybe. Jesus corrects him, and then Peter like, overreacts in the, other, the opposite direction. Like, you've got to wash all of me. He's, his knee jerk decisions kind of almost caused him to miss the point of what Jesus was doing in this moment, what Jesus wanted to communicate. Of course, thankfully, Jesus was patient and took the time to explain. Jesus shares in this moment what power and leadership mean in the kingdom of God. Servant leadership—he lowers himself to serve his disciples—and that's not just an end in itself. That servants should, the leaders should be servant leaders. It's a whole kingdom culture thing. It's to be done by him and then passed on. He said, you should do this for one another. And he's not just talking about washing feet. He's talking about everything he does, everything that Jesus did. It's it's the greater lesson of the gospel that all that we are and what we're supposed to do and be and give to the world, we can do because he did it first for us. We receive and we're to give, give away what we've received. In Jesus' correction to Peter, He's saying that Peter doesn't need his hands and his head washed when he does that kind of overreaction and wash all of me. We see that Jesus is saying he'll provide for his soul exactly what he needs. He knows where his guilt and his pain is. He knows whatever guilt and pain we carry in our lives that can cause our knee-jerk reactions to things. Jesus can and will meet us with healing and forgiveness about those things. And that is the foundation of the decision-making life of a disciple that I want to talk about today. Knowing that Jesus has done for you what was impossible for you to do for yourself and asked you to pay no price whatsoever. When it comes to big and scary decisions in life, which will come, the ones that really seem to matter, we can fret over them and worry about them as if it's going to cost our relationship with God. I feel guilty about things I've decided. Like, did that ruin things? Is God mad at me? But he's not watching from a distance, seeing if we measure up or if we get it right or fail completely. God wants us to see in challenging and pivotal moments in life that he's with us. He won't abandon us. He has grace even for when we totally fail. And he loves to partner with us in big and pivotal decisions, even knowing we might fail. And I think we can be comforted that Peter, who spent three years of ministry with Jesus, took a while to get this. Like I said earlier, there's a little bit of a learning curve. We were allowed a learning curve too. We didn't spend three years walking around with Jesus hearing everything he said in person and watching the miracles happen. You know, like I said, at the Last Supper, he had been with Jesus for all of this ministry. He still acted with pride and impatience. And he would go on to have like lower lows and higher highs. You know, there's the ear thing, chopping off the Roman soldier's ear. There's the denial, and what's funny about that, funny or tragic or amazing or whatever, is Jesus said, you're gonna deny me three times. And he said, no I won't, and then he did it. Like in the span of hours. But then what's beautiful is very much toward the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus forgives him. And not only forgives him, he commissions him to lead and care for the growing body of disciples and followers that would become the church. As followers of Jesus, we all have a learning curve with this new identity that we're living out. And we will face situations and decisions that nothing could prepare us for. But as disciples, we can lean into the one who leads us as we, become, as we grow to become as prepared as possible. We grow in that wisdom. So just a few things I want to say about that. As disciples, we can make decisions knowing we are not alone. This is Maybe the most practical point of my whole sermon, just knowing that in practical decision making, we are not alone. Essentially, we have the Holy Spirit, which just after this scene, Jesus told his disciples he would send. The Holy Spirit is our counselor that Jesus has sent to the earth to guide us in our walk as disciples. We also have each other. In all the ways that Jesus blessed people on the earth, He's still doing so through his spirit and through his followers. We are the incarnation now who can help each other choose what's best, find out what's best, walk through really hard decision-making processes. And it's not just that. It's just like figuring out life. Like We have the authority that Jesus gave us in every way to restore each other to him, to the Father, to forgive. like Look at what he says in John 20. This is after he's resurrected. Jesus said, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Like, we as the followers of Jesus have really profound authority to do as he did. Another point, as disciples, we can make decisions knowing that we are perfectly loved. How much, like, how differently would you relate to the world and to the hard decisions in your life if you really knew that? If you knew that the love you have from God is not, like, up for debate, it's not dependent on how you make this decision or that decision, what if that was really kind of sunk into the depth of your soul, would you have more confidence to go about your decision-making? Knowing that, like Peter, it's okay if you mess up because there's grace and forgiveness that can be followed. But as you go about that, as you walk out your life as a disciple, with that confidence, you'll become more and more confident, more and more wise, and more and more ready to share that with others. So my last point, as disciples, we can make decisions knowing we are empowered to serve. You already have what you most need to give away, which is God's love and truth. You don't need to manufacture it, you don't need to convince anyone of it, but in hard decisions and tricky situations, whatever all the options you have, you can think as a disciple that whatever you decide may be a blessing to people. It might bless those it involves, whoever is affected by your hard decisions. We know we're called to serve others as Jesus did. And kind of exactly how that plays out, may be unexpected or surprising, and it might involve more decisions than you're comfortable with. But just remember that like the effect of it may bless others and show the truth and love of God to them in how you do it versus how the world does it. And in all these decisions, if you remember that you're not alone and you're perfectly loved, You can invite God into these moments and see what happens. See him not just transform your life, but the lives of those around you. And that's kind of a beautiful and wonderful thing about being a disciple, is that it will affect the world around us if we try, however much we fail at times, to live out decision-making as disciples. So I'd love to invite you to stand, and we're going to have a moment of just kind of asking God how he wants to share with us today. Um, We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to lead, perhaps one of our leaders or prayer team members, you know, may have a word from him, and we'll open that up, Um, but I'm just going to pray that God visits us and kind of meets each of you in whatever you're angsting over or struggling with right now, if anything. Maybe there's nothing at all. And he'll just kind of give you a little spiritual high-five, like, you go. I don't know. Um, So let's uh, let's do this. And then after we have a little bit of kind of opening up this prayer time, we'll do one more song together and go enjoy a beautiful President's Day weekend. So, Lord, we invite you. We know that you've sent your Holy Spirit. And we ask for a... Just whatever you want to do, we know you're here. Lord, would you pour out a blessing on those of us who need it, on this community, on we as individuals? Show us what you want to do today, Lord God. We wait on you now.